everyone, welcome to the Flexing Physio Podcast. My name's Dan and I'm a physio currently based in Melbourne, Australia. This podcast is aimed for both students and new grads. In this podcast, there will be lots of fun banter and cool guests. Now, let's get into this episode. What do you call a lady mm. with one leg? What do you call a lady with one leg? I don't know. Eileen. Oh. And now, what do you call a Chinese lady with one leg? <laughs> Irene. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Flexing Physio Podcast. Now, this is a monumental episode because this is my first time recording in my super echoey chamber. I don't know how this is going to sound, but if it's super echoey, I apologize in, in advance. But today I've got a uh, lovely guest. Now, I met this lady about a year ago when I moved to Melbourne, my first job in Melbourne at Alpha. So shout out Alpha, my first shout job. Shout out Alpha. Shout out Ash for giving me my first job here. You're a legend. Now, this lady, her name's Kato, otherwise known as the concussion specialist. Oh, be careful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's, uh, yeah, otherwise known as the concussion connoisseur. Okay, yeah. We'll go with that. I love that. And uh, Kato is also an osteo. That's it. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Kato to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Long time listener, first time caller. Love it. Yep. I love it. <laughs> now, Kato, first off, tell the listeners how, why you became an osteo. This isn't part of the questions, but I thought I'd just throw you under the bus. I was going to say, I don't have any notes on this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, I became an osteo because I, so when I was a teenager, I played a lot of sport mm. um, and I had a lot of injuries. I had a knee injury in particular mm. and I went down the traditional route of seeing a physio at the time. Mm -hmm. And this is not a, this is not an anti, oh, here we a go. great start, isn't it? I knew this I is, screwed up no, inviting osteo. Certainly not. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not. I think the mistake I made was that the physio I saw wasn't very into sports injuries. Mm. And straight off the bat, it was a, okay, three months, no sport, which mm. didn't work for me. Mm. I had a friend at the time with a very similar knee injury who recommended I see an osteo. Mm -hmm. And it was very much, a, all right, let's see what we can keep you doing while we work on things for you. So good. And I just really loved that approach mm. to, to healthcare. And yeah, that's why I'm doing it. Nice. Yeah. And, and I often tell people... There's often this big divide between physios and osteos and chiros yep. and myos or whatever. Yep. But I think we all come under the umbrella of physical therapy. 100%. It yep. doesn't matter how you help someone. Yep. As long as you can help them get back to what they want to do. Exactly right. And you don't use certain narratives like yep. your, your back's out of place or you know certain uh, fear-mongering yep. words. Let me realign you. Yeah, right. Ooh. Like that honestly no, no. triggers me. <laughs> but if you, no matter what label you are, if you're helping someone, does, I don't care what you are, right? 100%, yeah. And I think that makes the question of like, so what's the difference? Yeah. Such a hard one to like give a nice, concise answer to. Correct. Because the, the concise answer doesn't exist. It's mm. so much more down to the individual practitioner than just comparing one profession to another. These yeah. Days, which is a good thing. Which is yeah. a good thing. Yeah, for sure. I often say to people when I when I used to work at Alpha, and I, I said that I used to work with a lot of osteos, mm -hmm. and they go, oh, osteos are more cracky bone aligning stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, I mean traditionally speaking they probably do more hands-on therapy yep. and like manipulations and all the and yep. all that but all the clinicians at alpha we all pretty much practice the same 100 yeah uh, we all try to get people active and, and getting them up and going rather yep. than spending too much time on the treatment table definitely definitely yeah i love that 
All right. Well, today we're not talking about. Um, <laughs> we'll save that for the, for another. <laughs> yeah, one. <laughs> we'll save that for another episode. Today we're talking about concussions. That's it. Yeah. Now, how did you get into this concussion world? Because it's very niche. Yep. And it's one of those injuries that there's a lot of. They've made movies on it. Yeah. Yep. I don't think they've made a movie on ankle sprains. No. They could do some interesting stuff on it, though. Yeah, yeah. They probably wouldn't get Will Smith to be the no, actor. No, no. Maybe like a, I don't know, like a Michael Bay. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but concussions is a big topic. Yeah. And it's, do you feel like it's a t- taboo topic? Um, I think the narrative on it is changing. Yeah. Which is a really good thing. Mm-hmm. I think um, in the past, a lot of the discussion around it has often been, ah, don't worry about it, you're fine. It's just, just a knock. Don't worry about it, get out there. Mm. And in that sense, I think it's a really good thing that the, the narrative around it is changing to a lot more of, well, actually, this is what we know about it now. Mm. It's, it's not just a head knock. Mm. And just like any other injury, there are things we can do to help you rehab and recover mm. from from this type of injury as well. Yeah. yeah. So how did you get into this uh, concussion space? I think I've been I've been working in, in sport, particularly um, footy, AFL, mm. um, for about eight or nine years now. Mm-hmm. So I started with an internship before I even finished uni Mm. and that's what made me realize that the sporting sort of trajectory was where I wanted to take being an osteo with and I think compared to every other injury um a concussion is one that it's it's almost a little bit phantom like in and what I mean by that is if you see a teammate rock up one day and their leg is in a cast no one is going to question why you're not out there training why you're Mm. not out there playing but if Mm. someone rocks up to training and says oh I've 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 had a head knock, I'm, I'm concussed. Again, it was that conversation of, oh, well, you look like you're fine. What do you mean? Like, just go out, have a bit of a run around. You'll be, mm. you'll be okay. And that's what I found really interesting about it in that it was something that was a bit phantom. It was mm. something that if, unless you're the one going through it and experiencing it, it's very yeah. hard to sort of understand other people's perspective on it. And that's yeah. what is, I think it's so niche to that particular injury compared to others. Mm. Now, that's a really good way of explaining it. And on the topic of explaining things, how would you, as, a, as an osteo, as a clinician, how would you explain the pathology of a concussion to a layman's or to a normal average person? I think I think the simplest way that we can start off the explanation of it is understanding that it's a mild traumatic brain injury. Okay. I think describing it as anything less does it a disservice. Sure. It doesn't give it the importance and the recognition that this injury deserves. Yeah. So understanding that it's a mild form of a traumatic brain injury I think is a good place to start. Yeah. I think to explain what it is that's actually happening in the brain, the way that I like to describe it is that it's a, a twisting and a stretching of the mm. nerve cells in your brain. Mm. What that then causes is, is a bit of a, a flow-on effect or a bit of a cascade like a waterfall of this movement of neurochemicals within the brain. Things are moving in, things are moving out, mm. and that's what creates the symptoms that we experience with concussion. Mm. So it's certainly not from just a knock or an impact or anything like that it's yeah. more it's certainly more of a functional injury than actually a structural injury i see okay do you get lots of people um when you explain to them what you just told me do you see a lot of people start to understand go well this isn't just a head head knock and this is actually something way way more severe yeah than, than originally thought i think so i think initially it really challenges people's previous understanding of what yeah. it is to sort of 
um, get them to understand that, like you said, it's not just a head knock, it's not just a headache. Actually, this is mm-hmm. something more serious happening under the surface than what we can see, what we can feel. Yeah. That's when they really start to be like, oh, okay, maybe I need to take this a little bit more seriously now. I see. Yeah. And I often, when I explain to patients their pathologies, I often avoid words such as bone on bone or mm-hmm. wear and tear mm-hmm. um, or, you know, just general BS like your yeah. spines misaligned. Yep. Um, but when you explain this to a patient, do you actually use the words mild brain injury, traumatic brain injury? Do you say that to them? Uh, I think it really depends on the audience and the patient that's in sure. front of you. So I've worked with a lot of junior athletes before, uh-huh. and obviously there are going to be times when you're explaining what's going on that saying you've got a mild traumatic brain injury, it's not going to be appropriate. Yeah. But the other thing, the other side that I like to do in terms of creating more awareness and education is is running education sessions at sporting Mm. clubs and things like that. And if I'm talking to coaches and parents and senior athletes, that's when I will sometimes say this is a mild, a mild, definitely mild form Mm. of a traumatic brain injury. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the times in the past, especially in in the locker rooms, especially at footy clubs, it's that mentality of it's just a knock, you'll be right. And sometimes we need to shake that up. Yeah, definitely. And one of the first things to do is to run these education seminars and sessions and break down that uh, barrier. Yeah, absolutely. So... You you mentioned before that a a, uh, concussion isn't just a head knock, Mm -hmm. and that's, I guess you touched on a common myth. Are there any other myths that you want to debunk right now? Yeah, I love this Let's go. (laughs) I love jaws hitting the floor. So absolutely, number one, not just a head knock. Yeah. Number two is that I think people sometimes think it's, oh, there's a bruise in the brain or a bleed in the brain, mm. and that's definitely not the case. Like we said before, it's it's a functional injury rather than a structural injury. Right. And what that also means is that you won't see concussion on a CT scan or an MRI scan. Okay. There are no signs that you'll see on there. Sure. Um, they, the scans certainly still have their place. If you are worried about a more you know, some, some other injuries as well as the mm. concussion, making sure that there aren't any fractures in the face or the skull or that there isn't any bleeding going on. They certainly have their place. Yep. But for the diagnosis of concussion alone, we won't see anything on scans. I see. Um, some of my other favourite ones is that uh, wearing a helmet uh-huh. does absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah. Throw it out. No, don't throw it out. They certainly, <laughs> again, they certainly have their place. They're good for protecting the skin on the head and the face from mm-hmm. things like cuts and lacerations. Yeah. But they do not minimise the risk of concussion and they do not reduce concussion from happening at all. I see. It's like that idea of boxing and yeah. wearing gloves actually don't minimise brain injury yeah. or like um, getting the, the force of being hit. In fact, wearing gloves increases the That's force it. of being hit in yep. the face. Yeah. So it's that idea of wrapping something around um, yeah. your head yep. s- somehow slows down. But if you look at the physics behind it, yep. you're probably wearing a helmet. You probably go into the tackle with a bit more confidence knowing exactly you've got it. something on your yep. head. Yep. And then that produces more force and torque and, exactly right. and all that jazz. Yeah, it creates a bit of false sense of security, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Do, do Is there still a big push for wearing helmets in AFL at not, all? Not so much. Not yeah. so much. I think sometimes the the narrative is, all right, if it's going to make you feel better and more mm. confident, that's okay. Mm. But from the teams that I've worked with and the circles that I've run in, it, there's not really a big push for it. 
Yeah, okay. Um, I think there is still a bit of a misunderstanding around it somewhere. Mm. Like there's even, um, there's even you know, in, in uh, elite leagues and elite mm. circles, there's still an understanding sometimes of, oh, if I just put a helmet on, I'll be fine. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, hang on. Let's backtrack that. Yeah. Let's understand what the purpose of it actually is and what's happening. Yeah. And then you start to see them understand, oh, okay, this actually won't make a difference. Yeah, I see. Yeah. And just um, off topic here, mm. Uh, I just want to let you know, you'll be proud of me. Yeah. I watched the grand final. You did not. <laughs> I did. That is amazing. Who did you go for? Of course, Collingwood. Good, good. Like, is there any other team that I can go no. for? No, no, you're right. I feel right. like if I said another team, the other team, you and Christina would walk in right now and attack <laughs> Correct. me. Correct, yeah. Um, And I just want to I'm let you so know. I'm so proud. Thank you. And I was proud of myself as yep. well. That, that grand final was so much better than the one I watched last year yeah 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 so i think i'll make it a yearly thing an annual Good. grand final afl match that i'll definitely watch if it's the only game you watch a year that's mm. okay yeah that's that's fine, okay that's fine, right yep. so you must have been super stoked with the result i was so happy so happy a bit nervous a bit yeah. nervous on the day but it all it all came together real well yeah. so so happy just a side note for the listeners kato is a mad collingwood supporter and i quickly realized this you know my second hour working at Alpha. <laughs> I think you tried to sneak a Collingwood uh, star on top of the Christmas tree at one point, didn't I you? I did. That is correct. I have a Collingwood bauble. Oh, Collingwood bauble. Front and center every year. Ash tries to move it. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yep. And where were you on game day? <laughs> I'm really curious. <laughs> I, I watched the game from home because I was too nervous to go. Yeah, because I asked you whether you'd watch it at the actual uh, Marvel. Oh, no. Try again. No. MCG? That's the one. Oh, Good thank job. you. Yep. Thank you. Um, I thought you'd go there, but you said you were way too nervous. Correct. You needed to watch it at home. Correct. That's exactly what happened. As soon as the game finished, though, yeah. we rushed into the city, caught up with some friends at the club yep. and and had a, had a good night celebrating. Good. Yeah. You deserve it. Thank you deserve you. it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's a back. tough four quarters. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> back on the topic of concussions, Kato. Mm. Now, have you you said before that you worked with um, some AFL teams? Mm. Now I, I'm always with the terms of AFL. AFL means the top level, right? Oh no! So AFL just is just the code of sport. So okay. footy. Yep. Footy. Um, yeah, that's that's what we mean by that. Yeah. Hello, it's Uncle Dan here, interrupting this episode with a cheeky ad break. You may have seen me use the HGG Wrist X on my Flexing Physio Instagram. It is so good to use that one to strengthen my wrist and forearm, so I can toss my walk to get better walk hay in my special fried rye. So, if you want one or want to buy one for your patients with the weak-ass wrist, then head to the HGG website right now and use my discount code of DEN10 to get 10% off. Okay, back to the show now. When someone has a suspected concussion on field, Mm -hmm. as the on-field clinician, Mm -hmm. I remember back in my first, second year of uni working in soccer, and someone gets injured, you run on and you assess them. If they're not dying usually they go back and play, continue. <laughs> yeah. yep. um, and there's definitely been time in the past where I may have let someone play mm. even with a suspected concussion as yeah. a junior, as a student. Yeah. You don't have any authority. Yep. The coaches, the players, they all give you pressure to let this kid back on because yep. the coaches tend to be like, ah, nah, just, just she'll be right, she'll yep. be right. As the on-field clinician, do you have any tips for anyone who needs to make a call yep. about whether someone can continue or not? Um, I think the general rule of thumb is if in doubt, sit them out. 
Love it. If there's any doubt, any uncertainty in your mind, mm. no one can be too mad at you for erring on the side of caution when it comes to concussion <clears throat> and saying, you're actually just going to sit down, have a bit of a chill out for five, ten minutes, we'll reassess the situation and then make a decision. That is totally okay. Because mm. it is, like you said, it is sometimes it is really hard to know in the moment if they're concussed or not. Sometimes mm. we don't know until hours or days later and that's where you know delayed onset concussion comes into mm. the picture. Sometimes they appear absolutely fine. Yeah. So I think if in doubt, sit them out. Okay. Sometimes it will be obvious. Sometimes you know you'll see you'll see the impact happen, whether it's directly to the head or indirectly somewhere else on the body. That makes the head and neck have a bit of like a whiplash yeah. moment yeah. or something like that. You might see that they're a little bit woozy or dizzy or unbalanced when they try and get up on their feet you might also see them do something called fencing posture which Mm. is when they're lying on the ground and their arms come up into the air quite stiff as well so that's quite that's quite a like straight away okay something's not right there there's been an impact on the brain there's a miscommunication in the messaging coming from brain to body we need to take this seriously immediately for sure i think having a a knock that big that causes a reaction like the fencing reaction yep that is often enough to say, okay, the brain's obviously been affected yeah, here. Yeah, absolutely. And and would you say a lot of people who show these fencing reactions, they do tend to have a concussion as well? Certainly, yeah. I'd say more more mm. often than not, yes. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, have you in your life met any huge challenges when you're wanting to take an athlete off because you reckon they've got a concussion? Uh, I reckon we play a game with take a shot every time we say concussion. Yeah. <laughs> no shots here, just Be coffee a very, and Very, very short podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, have you in your in your past uh, had met any challenges when coaches or pl- other players are giving you pressure to give to let this other player on, even yeah. though you think they're concussed? Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, it's um, even even though when you're working in a club, you're all working towards a common goal, which is mm. you want the team to do as well as For they sure. can, win as many games as they can, get as far as they can in yep. the season. But when you've got coaching staff and medical staff, you're coming at it at a diff- from different points of view, unfortunately. Yep. So um, there's definitely been times when I've spoken to coaching staff and said, hey, so-and-so just needs to have a chill out for five or mm. ten minutes. Mm-hmm. And you can see they're getting a bit testy and a bit you know, unhappy with that. And there are other times when you said, okay, they're done, they're ruled out and they might, you know, respect and accept your mm. your evaluation, but you can tell they're not happy about it or they mm. will absolutely let you know that that's not happening and say, mm. no, nah, they're going back on. So it's, it is a really challenging, um, really challenging moment when yeah. that happens. I'll say more often than not, it's been, it's been, pretty well received by coaching staff but we've certainly had a, a few occasions where it's not been that way yeah i think that's also where establishing maybe dominance is not the right word but establishing your authority yeah. early on in the season <clears throat> through pre-game meetings and just being a friend to the athlete so that they know that you've got their best interest at heart. Absolutely, yeah. Because I feel like if you're like the new kid on the block who's just rocked up fresh out of uni mm-hmm. and you're pulling them off and you've had nothing to do with them, their trainings, etc., yep. that might be received in a more poorly manner. Absolutely. They're not going to want to bar of you if, if that's, that's right. the... Um yeah, if that's your attitude to it. So it certainly pays, like you said, to come in, put the groundwork in yeah. first, get to know them on a personal level, not yeah. just like you know a set of injuries or a yeah. set of symptoms. Know yeah. what cereal they like for breakfast, Always, how yeah. many dogs they have, yeah. everything. Exactly just, right. 
<laughs> yeah, tell me all about your dogs. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. You've got a massive dog, don't you? She's medium size. Medium. Okay. She's Any just dog. got a little bit of winter weight at the moment. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not uh, fat shaming your dog. <laughs> I just remember um, when I was a young kid, I've actually got this weird fear of dogs. Yeah. Is that when I was really small, this huge, well, it would have been a medium, probably like a cavoodle, to be honest, jumped on me. And yep. then from that, that day on, I had this weird fear of dogs. Yeah, fair. So I'm not a dog person or a cat person. Okay. Sorry. That's all right. I'll show myself out. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And that's the end of today's podcast. All right. Um, we talked about, no, we, yeah, we talked about the main challenges with sport and country, but did you have any other big challenges that you wanted to touch on when working with sport? Um, I think that's a really good one. I think just, again, on the topic of education, mm. I think it can be really hard concussion or not whatever the injury is, it is sometimes really hard to funnel down resources and, and information from wherever they come from yep. to grassroots, grassroots sport and grassroots footy in particular. I think sometimes the information is almost kept up in like an ivory tower and mm. unless you've got someone at that local level who knows where to go and get that information and bring it back, there can be such a divide and disconnect sometimes. So mm. trying to get that information to where it needs to be the most is, is a challenge, number one. And then getting buy-in on that education as well that you want to deliver can be really tricky as well, mm. especially in footy clubs where, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, the understanding around concussion in particular was is just so different to what we know mm. and understand today. So as well as delivering the education, you've also got to challenge their current beliefs on it and say, okay, well, what we know now is actually very different to the mm. past and getting them to buy into that current information is very, very challenging. Yeah. I think the other thing as well is that when you're talking to athletes, junior athletes, senior athletes, whoever it might be, it can be so hard sometimes to, to convince them mm. that they're actually injured or, or have concussion because they might say, well, my headache's gone. I've gone back to school. I've spent a whole day at school. I'm, I'm ready to go. Let me go. Yeah. Sort of thing. And it's like, okay, I understand why you're, why you're feeling that way. Let's mm. actually have a chat about the, the recovery time frame and all the other things we need you to do first before you get back out there. But yeah. I can certainly understand it from their perspective, but it yeah. can be a bit of a, bit of a give and take, bit of tug and war sometimes. Yeah, for sure. And um, I've heard of the SCAT 5 as the, is that the gold standard when looking at concussion? Yeah. Gold standard is now SCAT 6. Oh, okay. So a new version of it came out last year. Oh, very new. Very Hot off the exciting. press. Hot off the press. What's kind of the... like the new series of a movie, if you like it? We went nuts over it. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh, God, that's funny. <clears throat> and um, what would you say is the biggest difference or the biggest um, uh, improvement of the SCAT 6 compared to the SCAT 5? Um, I think just in some of the testing itself, okay. there's a little bit more, a bit more involved aspects of different parts of testing. So That's things good. like they're assessing their balance and, and things like that over a certain amount of time. Yep. So sort of combining um, different aspects of testing together into one mm. test rather than just looking at things in isolation mm. has been really good. The other good thing about, I guess, just the fact that we have an updated measure of the SCAT, it's, it came from the sixth um International, I always get this wrong. International consensus statement on concussion in sport. That is a mouthful. It is a mouthful. You got there though. Thank That's you. Good. <laughs> I, ho I hope it's right in the right order. It is yeah. some combination of those words. Okay. <laughs> um, so every couple of years, experts in this field get together somewhere in the world to put out a new consensus statement on oh. concussion in sport. They have updates on the SCAT, um, different versions of the SCAT. So things that you can use for your pediatric clients, things you can use in an office setting, things you can use on in a sideline 
setting as cool. well. So that is a really good resource to sort of get just to get updated on on all the things that have changed in the last four years. I think since the since they did number five. All right, I see. Yeah. Did they start from sket one all the way to sket two, sket three, or did they? I just believe start as- so. Okay. Or maybe they picked a favorite number. I don't, no, I think I think it was from number one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Next next year is going to be like scat two hundred and thirty. That's it. Why didn't they do that with the iPhone at one point? They did all the numbers and then they went to like X or SE and then they went back to numbers. They needed it's, to jig it up, yeah. otherwise people just lost interest. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. It's like the Doha Hip Agreement. I, I don't know if you've yes. heard of that. Yeah. Yep. Um, like a group of nerds basically just <laughs> came together and then came up with this agreement for hip pathologies, yeah, which yeah. is which just sounds like it's similar yeah. to the scat stuff. Um, with the uh, oh, I've lost my train of thought. But that's oh legality. <laughs> so yes. when it comes to concussions in sport, yeah, what are the some of the non-negotiables around that? Um, well, I think each code has a different um, set of rules and return to play policy mm. um, for concussions. So I guess looking at looking at AFL, looking at mm. Australian rules of footy, we have a 12-day minimum return to play policy. Right. So if a concussion is diagnosed, minimum 12 days before they are able to return to playing again. I see. What I think is really misunderstood about the 12-day process is that a lot of people think all right i'll go home i'll rest for 12 days i won't do anything Mm, for 12 days mm -hmm. but if if you know round 10 is on day 13 i'm ready to play again Mm. i can go back and do everything straight away Mm. within the 12 days there is a return to play protocol Mm. sort of flow chart of different steps you need to achieve before you can then go back to play i love that 12 days is just the minimum amount of time that you could possibly complete that in yeah so i think it's it's Yes, we've got a 12-day policy. Yes, that's good. But it's more about what are you doing in those 12 days to get yourself ready. If you're not finished that process by day 12, you shouldn't be playing on day 13. Right. Sounds like it's like a criteria-driven approach. That's exactly what it is. Which, you know, as we all know, I love ACLs and I love knees. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of the times is that uh, an athlete would only look at that because they may have been told by their surgeon, all right, nine months, you'll be, or 12 months, you'll yeah. be back playing yep. sport. And yep. so for the next 12 months, they basically just potter around the home, do yep. their rehab half assedly yep. When the 12 month mark comes around, they start playing yep. and then bang, their ACL goes again. Shocking. But really, we should be looking at it as a criteria driven approach. Yep. So rather than having a time frame, yep. um, have a criteria. That's it. I so right. in the 12 days, yep. if they're not just chilling out in a dark room, yep. what are they doing? What can they start doing? What can they start doing? I guess the process is a little bit different from your junior athletes to your senior athletes. Mm-hmm. In your junior athletes, the priority is always that they return to full learning first before they return to sport. Full learning as full in school? Learning. So back to school for okay. full days first. So um, I guess if we look at our junior athletes in particular, we're making sure first that they're getting through a half day of school. Yep. If they get through that fine, then they're going to try a full day and then they go back to a point where, you know, okay, well now you're going to do your sacks and your tests and your exams and mm. things like that. So often if they have any of those scheduled for the first one or two weeks of their recovery, we would advise that they push that out a little bit further. Yeah. So once they've ticked the box that they've returned to learning, then we can look at getting them back into return to play. Mm. Um like I said, every sport is going to have a little bit of a difference in their criteria for yep. this. But basically, it's going to look like some very light aerobic training first mm-hmm. and some moderate intensity, some higher intensity. And that's when they can start to maybe do a little bit of handball work as well, things mm-hmm. like that. Then they'll progress into some non-contact training drills mm-hmm. and then into a full non-contact session and then do a couple of full contact sessions before they're ready to return to gameplay. 
Gotcha. Yeah. So it sounds like it's like a graded approach. That's exactly it. Yeah. Right. And I think that carries over to all facets of rehab. Yeah. You don't yeah. just go from zero to a hundred. Absolutely not. Yep. Start building them from level one all the way back to return to sport. And that that level one can almost start almost immediately mm. as well. Relative rest, like with any other injury, mm. like you said, is important at the very, very beginning. Mm-hmm. We also don't want them to do that for too long as well. Yep. So like, like you were saying, you know, we used to think that, okay, just put them in the dark room for a couple of days, let their brain chill out and then yeah. they're good to go. Yeah. Absolutely not yeah. anymore. We've got great tools and resources like um, the Buffalo treadmill test now that we can start them doing, which is just gives us an indication of aerobically what what is their capacity like before their symptoms mm. either kick on or start to get a little bit worse. And mm-hmm. then that gives us a value of their sub-maximal threshold that they can safely work at to encourage sure. their heart rate to get up, which improves blood flow to the brain. Yep. which is going to help their recovery. Perfect. Love that. And um, within the ACL world, if we get someone, say, returning to running after that three-month-ish mark, mm-hmm. we tell them often that we want you to look at your how your knee pulls up yep. that afternoon yeah. and also the day after, whether there's any extra swelling or pain. Yep. Is there similar things that athletes can look out for that afternoon of starting some of these exercises? Absolutely. So a lot of the... Um, a lot of the criteria in that in that process will have a 24-hour period of, of not complete rest, but mm. we won't go day after day after day. You'll have a 24-hour period where you just wait and see if anything picks up again, and then mm. if nothing happens, then you can move on to the next day. When you say nothing happens, like the symptoms don't worsen. Correct, or, or, or any new symptoms, new onset of symptoms, yep. worsening of symptoms, um, depending on okay. what stage you're at as well. And on the topic of symptoms, we know the big basic ones like dizziness and double vision yep. is there any um slightly less talked about symptoms that is also a very big symptom of concussion i think the biggest one is probably any behavioral or emotional changes oh. so if someone is just acting a little bit differently or behaving a little bit differently to their normal self that should be really taken into consideration yeah so some of the questions on on our scat six that we look at in terms of symptom evaluation are things like are they more irritable than usual mm. are they more sad than usual are they nervous or anxious and things like that and they're yeah. they're big ones as well oh, so they carry okay. just as much weight as your headache blurry vision neck pain yeah stuff like that yeah that's good i think it's good to talk about some of these other underlying symptoms yeah. um st- such as irritability yeah. and all that yep. um if you ask my wife she'll probably say that i'm i've got a concussion all the time yeah but of well, mood swings that's you know? it that's it that's where that line more irritable than usual <laughs> yeah don't get in. don't get the person's partner to tick the boxes because no. oh. yeah that will be a not a reliable result it's it's always it's always a laugh when when i'm doing an assessment on a junior athlete and their parent or parents are in the room with them yeah. and i say um do you feel like you've been a little bit more irritable than usual yeah. to, to the patient yeah and with, without a second delay mum or dad will chime in oh well, yeah oh yeah and I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, that's like actually a really good topic to talk about how do you deal with if the pay, if the no, uh, athlete is an adolescent, they yep. come in with their mum. They yep. they have a concussion. Yep. What do you do to navigate the complexities between mother and uh, kid yeah. and clinician and, and patient? It is so hard, and it's still something I'm learning. <laughs> 
it's the right and the wrong way to do. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. You will, I mean, don't get me wrong. Most parents, you will have, they're very understanding. They trust you. Mm. Um, they say, all right, if this is what we have to do, this is what we have to do. That's fine. Yeah. But you will, We. I've certainly had my fair share of parents who have said, oh, no, you know, I've, I've been looking after him. You know, he hasn't had a headache in days. He's fine. Mm. I'm like, okay, I understand that. But he's also sitting here telling me he feels like he's going to vomit when, <laughs> when he stares at a bright light for too long. So we yeah. need to take that into consideration yeah. as well. Um, so it, yeah, it's a really hard one. Just trying to go back to basics and explain to them, we've got a whole list of things to work through here, not just one or two things. Yeah. They are all just as important as each other. And at the end of the day, this is your kid's brain health that we're talking about. We don't really get a second shot at this. We got to get this right now. And what are some of the consequences if, if some kid, like a 15-year-old kid, suffers a concussion and it goes uh, potentially under uh, misdiagnosed and they go back and maybe receive another concussion the week after and it happens week after week after week? What are some of the yeah. consequences long-term for these kids? Uh, it's, it's, it's a, it, it, it could be a pretty long list i mean what we what you're sort of talking about is that second impact syndrome where Mm. the brain hasn't had a chance to fully recover yet so we're not even back to our baseline level Mm. we're below that we get another knock and we're we're back down and back down and back down so it can be quite um it can be quite serious for the kid Mm. really i mean they could be noticing that they just can't concentrate in school they're having difficulty retaining information they could notice that their balance is a little bit off Mm. it could be it could be a whole list of a whole host of different symptoms. Um, and the longer it is left untreated or unmanaged, the longer it takes to get a, uh, a proper response once you start that process. Because like with any other injury, the brain learns how to adapt and try and do things True. a little bit differently. Maybe they're not the most efficient way of doing it, mm. but it will try and get by as best as it can until it absolutely can't anymore. Hashtag neuroplasticity. That's it. I bust that word out if I want to seem smart. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> do you have a word? Do you have a word? Do I have a word? Um, I don't think I have a word, but as soon as I say, you know, this is your kid's brain, this is uh-huh. their brain health, uh-huh. a lot of the times they're like, shit, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Well, that's. Uh, I feel like that was a very enlightening conversation and hopefully the listeners listening to this can take a few gems away and just learn how to better... Uh, pick up some of these yeah. cheeky concussions yep because yep. um, a lot of them can be subtle absolutely right? yeah okay, as we we're talking about the behavioral change that's a symptom as well yep of it yep um so yeah hopefully the listeners can take a few things away did you can you give us give me and also the listeners an idea of where we can go uh websites resources if we want to learn more about this yep. Yeah, um, I think there are some great online resources that mm. I like to use myself. Um, one of them is Concussion Lab. It is a great place to go for a lot of printable resources for the clinic that helps you with your um, assessments in the clinic and then that you can also pass on to your patients that they can, they can then use for their own rehab at home or to track their progress mm. and things like that. Sports Medicine Australia will often run information sessions for both um, clinicians, practitioners, but also for parents, coaches, athletes and things like that as well just to help them understand a bit better. Mm. Um, and I think especially for clinicians as well, something that I've found is that get to know the sports doctors that are in your area or mm. work in your field of sport that you work in. Mm. Most of them, from from my experience anyway, are always more than happy to pick up the phone and have a chat with you. If mm. you have any questions, you know they're going to be a reliable source of information. It's not just always going to be a, yeah, just get them in to see me, I'll da, 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 whatever. It's, yeah. okay, let's see, what have you done already? Where are the gaps? What can we help you do more? And then if we're still not getting any improvement, then they're more than happy to jump in and help out. 
Love it. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Lots of good advice there Thank you. for young clinicians and uh, students about to step into the new grad world. Yep. Kato, yes. you've been an absolute gem. Thanks, Dan. Thank you for your time. Anytime. And uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll have you back on to chat more about physio and osteo and love it. concussions and everything. Anytime. Thanks so much for having me. Cool. Thanks, Kato. Woohoo!